Hi there, I'm Trevor Thomas, and um, you're tuned to KSKQ.org, 94.9 FM. Thank you very much for listening to my show. If you're new, this is a variety show that includes music, old-time radio shows, thought-provoking conversations, metaphysical discourses, skits, news, and more. Coming up this hour, we'll be playing some music from uh, Modest Mouse, uh, Howie Day, Panic at the Disco, uh, David Gray, and a few others if we have time. We'll also do a few new segments. We're going to do some um, irrelevant news. We're going to introduce you to a new segment called Answering Machine Messages. Uh, we'll be introducing you to an old book series called Tom Swift. And in a few minutes, we'll be talking about metaphysics, our topic for this week's show. But first, here's Straylight Run with Existentialism on Prom Night.
So if you want to voice your opinion on or off the air, add to the topic in some way, please wait until I'm playing a song so I can answer the phone and then call the studio here at 541-482-3999. Tonight I'm going to be talking about metaphysics and then afterwards I'm going to play Gravity Rides Everything by Modest Mouse. So here we are getting started. There's a lot of different ideas about what metaphysics means. I've heard a lot of different things. There's a lot of different ideas out there about how to describe the universe. Um, Some of the more new, the newer ones are new age, quantum physics, spirituality, religion. Religion isn't very new. But uh, metaphysics, I think, got really popular sometime in the 80s. Could be wrong on that. But I think a lot of people have the wrong idea about what it actually is and what it means. So I went and looked it up online, the um, veritable online source of Wikipedia, which is never wrong, and this is what they had to say. Metaphysics is a branch of philosophy that investigates principles of reality transcending those of any particular science. The word derives from the Greek word meta, meaning beyond or after, and physica, meaning physical, physical referring to works on matter by Aristotle. Aristotle. The prefix meta was attached to the chapters in Aristotle's work that physically followed after the chapters on physics. I think I'm saying that wrong. I think it's Aristotle. But I'm here alone in this booth, so I have no idea. Uh, He himself did not call these works metaphysics. He called some of the subjects treated their first philosophy. So metaphysics has its root in the idea of first philosophy. First known metaphysician according to Aristotle, was Thales, T-H-A-L-E-S. His concept of arch, or the source, first principle or substratum was that of moisture, which is frequently translated as water. Which is an interesting way of looking at water. Many, most notably Aristotle, regard him as the first philosopher in the Greek tradition. According to Bertrand Russell, Western philosophy begins with Thales. Thales is the first recorded individual who refused to accept supernatural or mystical explanations for natural phenomena, positing that every event has a natural cause. He was also the first to define general principles and set forth hypotheses, and as a result has been dubbed the father of science. Arch is a Greek word with meaning beginning, origin, or first cause, or more accurately, ultimate underlying substance and ultimate undemonstrable principle. That's interesting. I'm going to come back to that a little bit later. Um, In the language of the archaic period, arch or archai, I think A-R-C-H-E or A-R-C-H-A-I, designates the source, origin, or root of things that exist. If a thing is to be well-established or founded, its arch or starting point must be secure. And the most secure foundations are those provided by the gods, the indestructible, immutable, and eternal ordering of things. In the ancient Greek philosophy, Aristotle foregrounded the meaning of arch as the element or principle of a thing, which, although undemonstrable and intangible, in itself provides the conditions of the possibility of that thing. I think that's really interesting. It's basically the entire idea behind metaphysics is that it describes or explains the unexplainable. Or at least it points out that it exists and therefore we exist because of something that can't be explained. Uh, 
it's it's a little hard to understand but metaphysics means something a little bit different to me uh, a lot of people think of it as kind of a new agey type religion or a way of looking at things like spirituality is oftentimes associated with religion as well and it could just mean sort of a you know a, a pure spiritual way of looking at things it doesn't necessarily mean religious I think the same problem ha happens with physics to me metaphysics is a way of describing physics that we have yet to explain in our daily lives and in that I think that this description is very correct now the other thing is that I believe that metaphysics to me kind of covers everything everything that I believe in it covers religion it covers auras reincarnation souls interconnectedness of all things fate, manifestation, psychology, aliens, alternate dimensions, physics, and quantum physics. All of these, I think, are covered by metaphysics, which is why I tend to use it as kind of a blanket term, term for everything that I'm kind of interested in. Now, going back to the ultimate undemonstrable principle, or, well, going back to the idea of gods, actually, Metaphysics is almost to some degree a description of God. You have, um, in physics right now, they're, they've been working on the Hadron Collider, which, researching it, I guess they got it to work. They've been, I think it was broken for like a year and they recently started it back up again. But this thing is a thing that collides, I believe, photon particles at a super speed in order to prove something, which they call the God Particle. And that's not the only purpose. It serves many, many purposes. But in physics and quantum physics, there's a number of unexplained phenomena which could potentially be explained by the existence of this God particle. So it's technically the Higgs boson or boson particle. But um, one of the many things it may do is help explain the origin of mass in the universe, which is really interesting because I thought we had already described, you know, explained that. Yes, there's mass, and that's the thing that creates gravitational pull, and that's what, you know, magnetizes or attracts everything to each other. But apparently there's more to it than that. And in addition, this is supposed to prove potentially the existence of God, or disprove it. I don't think they're actually sure whether it will prove or disprove the existence of God. Because it's basically saying something has been entered into this universe that has no business being here, and it's the reason why things work the way they do. Which, if you think about it, that sounds a lot like proving the existence of God. Now, God has tr traditionally been the realm of the church, but uh, no longer, which I think they're very unhappy about. Problem is that I believe that religion and physics are saying basically the same things using a completely different language. You've got God, you've got praying, you've got... Um, heaven and hell and you've got all these different elements that come up in traditional worship and then you've got a lot of the same kind of stuff in physics which uh, is somewhat of a discussion for another time but uh, <clears throat> but here's the other question is that does this um, God particle does it prove the existence of God or gods I mean back in the time of um, Aristotle they had many gods. So they believed that what they were doing was talking about 
the philosophy of multiple gods and how that came to be and what that, you know, how that fits in with the world. They were able to kind of seamlessly add religion into physics, which I thought was really interesting. But they did it under the term philosophy. I mean, technically, um, he's the father of science, this guy named Thales. But he was really a philosopher. He was a person that started believing in something that couldn't be explained and used that to start a whole new science in order to explain things. And yet he still left room for the possibility that God exists, which I think is really interesting. That's why I love metaphysics, because it doesn't come from necessarily a physics realm. It doesn't come from this is how things are and, you know, anything you haven't proved yet doesn't actually exist which is somewhat of the problem with most physics right now. It comes from more of a philosophical perspective, as then, oh, I wonder why this works this way. Maybe it's this, you know? Maybe if we get enough stuff together, we can actually prove that it's this. Or maybe we can prove that it's not. And we just put things together. And that's one of the biggest problems, I think, with spirituality and religion and physics, is that both sides do not want to hear what the other side is saying, basically. Like, you can't add God to any sort of physics experiment because it doesn't exist in their realm. You know, there's the table, periodic table of elements, there's cause and effect, but God has no business with any of those things. You know, Darwinism, that's, that's where it's at. And the reverse is true with religion. They completely believe that God has made everything, and instead of offering proof, they offer faith which is interesting, and I don't disagree with faith or religion in general. It's just that I think that, and like I said, I think they're both speaking about the same things but using a different language. There's a really good quote I really like uh, by Albert Einstein, which is, Science without religion is lame, but religion without science is blind. Of course, he came at it from more of a scientific perspective, but I believe both things are true. The, um, yeah. <laughs> so, another thing I want to talk about is quantum physics, because I believe this fits under the realm of metaphysics for me. Quantum physics is sort of the extension of existing physics. It's where we're going next. It's the idea that there's more to physics than what we can prove. And this, is, I think, is where religion and science start kind of crossing paths. So you've got all these new things that are made possible by the ideas behind quantum physics. Like, for instance, faster-than-light travel. I mean, as physics describes it right now, nothing can travel faster than light. But there's all these things that, uh, so far, we've dis discovered actually can. Like, for instance, tachyon particles. They travel so fast, they go back in time. And then there's this thing, actually, my dad turned me on to this. It's called Cherenkov radiation. It's the green glow that's given off by uh, nuclear power. And that glow is actually moving faster than light, which for some reason, that's why it creates the, the green hue. I haven't read a whole lot about this, but uh, I think it's really interesting. This, is, this stuff has been out there. Uh, that plus, you know, the idea of light. I mean, light is supposedly... Well, it's supposedly weightless. It has no weight. No weight whatsoever. And yet, it can bend 
to a magnetic field. Now, magnetic fields are created whenever there is a mass to something. I mean, not every single time, uh, but planets, black holes, um, anything that has mass has a field around it, a magnetic field that pulls things towards it. And light is bent by that magnetic field, yet light has absolutely no weight to it. Now, that doesn't make any sense. Not only that, but uh, in physics, or quantum physics, they have recently started questioning the idea of mass in general. What is it? I mean, when you actually take the theory of mass and look at it, it makes absolutely no sense with what we know about physics. There's elements that are missing. Mass shouldn't exist with the way that we have described the physical world. There's pieces to it that don't make sense. There's some theories out there in quantum physics, like mass is the effect of an element being duplicated out into alternate dimensions. And it's those dimensions that are weighing on this one and creating that mass, basically. So when you have a finger, you've got that finger that kind of duplicates out into infinity through all these different dimensions. And the fact that they're all connected and the fact that they're all the same finger mean that that creates mass throughout all of them. It's sort of a cumulative effect. Uh, there's a lot of different ideas about how mass exists, and potentially that's what this Large Hadron Collider is being used over at CERN in Europe may help people discover. But this really brings up the question of what is possible with the universe around us. Quantum physics, in my mind, kind of makes everything else possible. Uh, I read this book about space travel, which it was a theoretical book, and it described that sometime in the future, a bunch of people made a whole bunch of different, basically faster-than-light travel engines so people could go, you know, much farther than they have in the past, connect with other species and things like that. But, uh, but the interesting thing was that on a quantum level, the different theories behind these faster-than-light travel machines, they were all different, and they all disagreed with each other, and yet they all worked perfectly. Which, I mean, this is a, this is a, a fictional book, but it brings me to something I've read about quantum physics, which I think is really interesting. The fact that there's seven or eight principal theories about quantum physics, kind of the, the interconnectedness of all things, the whole idea of a multiverse, nonlinear time, God particle thing, um, the idea of an observer affecting an experiment, which I'll come back to in just a second. But there's seven or eight different main principles or theories about quantum physics that when you compare them to each other, they all require the same experiment to be proven correct. And so far they've all thus, thus far they have been proven correct, but all eight of them all seven or eight of them, uh, there could be more, I think there's more like 13, but the main one, the main seven or eight of them, they all contradict each other in terms of what they prove. Meaning that, you know, one of those, you know, the whole idea of the multiverse doesn't necessarily fit in with the idea of a, the, you know, nonlinear time or or, you know, kind of a branching effect of, of universes. And yet all of these experiments have been proven correct using, you know, what we can to prove quantum theory, which is already unprovable. But bringing, coming back to that book that I read, 
book being about space-time, it basically said that on a quantum level, which is an incredibly small level, however you want things to work, they work, basically. And that's what these experiments with quantum physics have kind of proved about our universe. All of these differing opinions about how things work have been proven correct, meaning that on a quantum level, everything works the way you want it to. And that's the only real constant in this universe is that we have physics, we have rules that we've all kind of collectively agreed on. But the smaller you get, the more you're able to affect the outcome. And that's where this um, observer experiment idea comes in. Basically, there's an experiment called Schrodinger's cat, which was kind of my introduction to quantum physics. Experiment being that you have a cat trapped in a box and... Inside this box is, uh, it's something like a decaying particle. It has a 50-50 chance of decaying. So if it doesn't decay, nothing happens. If it decays, it, um, it releases a poison and kills the cat. I know, it's very sad, very sad experiment. But the idea behind it is that both states, if you don't open the box, if nobody observes the cat then the cat is both alive and dead inside that box at the same time. Possibilities, basically. This is one of the ideas behind quantum physics, is that all possibilities exist somewhere, but the ones that you choose are the ones that affect that happen to you. There's sort of a linear time idea. It's almost like there's all these branches on a tree, and whichever branch you climb up is the one that you experience. It doesn't mean that all those other choices don't exist somewhere. It's one of the basic theories behind quantum physics, which I really like. Um, Just this idea that everything that could happen does, and you choose what happens to you. And that the smaller you get, the more localized you get, the more you affect the reality around you. I think we do this without noticing. I mean, there's a lot of different things that could be said about how the universe works, but when you look at the ideas behind quantum physics, and this stuff has been proven with experiments, and as proven as something like this can be. I mean, you can't actually witness the effect, you can only witness the results. Because it's on a quantum level, and we don't really have microscopes that go that small. But um, the results behind these experiments have been proven. We do have control over our reality. We do kind of collectively agree on something. If you think something is going to happen in an experiment, then you're pushing the likelihood of that thing happening towards a greater probability. That's what's been proven in these quantum physics experiments, is that you have an effect on the world around you. Now there's, that brings up all kinds of ideas, and to me it makes all this other stuff possible. The idea of God, the idea of religion being right, the idea of... Um, fate, the idea of choice, which I think are both really interesting questions that we should definitely talk about at some point, fate versus choice. But all this stuff means that there are so many possibilities in our universe of how things could work and how things do work. And it basically leaves all kinds of room for just different ideas and, and, and how things fit together. Which brings me to a quote which I really like. It's, the universe is large enough for everyone to be correct, which I completely believe. And you think about it, it, 
the idea of uh, life uh, as it has been defined is incorrect. I mean, we can't define life. Uh, you know, how do you decide whether a machine is alive or a plant? By definition, a rock is alive. By definition, a watch is alive. If you take a rock and a watch, and you look at the definition of life as written in a dictionary, you can categorically prove that both of those things are technically alive based on those definitions. I mean, maybe it depends on how you look at the universe, you know. Uh, from the perspective of a mountain, everything around it is dead. But from our perspective, the mountain is dead. Because it moves so slow, it erodes so slow that we don't know what's going on. I mean, this planet, you know, it's got a volcanic lava system, which could be very much considered blood pumping through veins. It works in very much the same way an actual organism does. But by our vague definition, this planet is dead, other than the plants and things that live on it. You know, and what has a soul? What has consciousness? How are things connected? You know, like uh, I, I love Pocahontas. I thought that was a great movie because it shows about kind of the interconnectedness of all things. And Avatar kind of touches on that a lot too. You know, who are we to say that these things are incorrect? That the Native Americans had it wrong? That there isn't a way to connect with plants and life around us? Who's to say we're not all connected by this stuff? I mean, quantum physics says it's possible. We are connected, we're all made out of the same stuff. This energy that flows through us. Uh, there's another experiment that they did where I think they took a, a photon off of an atom or they split an atom or something like that and they moved it to a completely different side of the planet. And then they changed one of them and simultaneously the other one changed to go along with it. It was either half of an atom or clone of an atom or like... Uh, a photon off of an atom or something like that. It was some crazy tiny small thing that that makes no sense. Once you remove that piece of it, it should no longer be connected in any way. And yet, it had this connection that we can't describe using our current physics. We can only guess at. The idea of how this universe works is so big that we can't even comprehend it. And to me, that's what metaphysics is. The universe is large enough for everyone to be correct. I mean, who knows actually how things work? I mean, none of us knows. We can't prove anything at the moment. Maybe someday we'll be able to, but even then, I imagine we'll just have more questions. You know? I mean, maybe we won't even know until we're dead. And even then, you know, who knows? Who knows how things work at that point? Oh, I ran out of music. <laughs> so, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit so that we have time to do other stuff tonight. Jump ahead to faith. The whole point of faith is believing in something that can't be proven. It's all in what we choose. I believe in metaphysics. You believe in the Torah or Hinduism or whatever. They're all good. The only one that isn't is the one that requires others to believe in it too. I learned a lot about religion, and, and there's a lot of evidence out there that disproves what's in the Bible. And there's a lot of evidence out there that proves it. You know, but there's a dis that's kind of a discussion for a different time, which we will definitely talk about. But that's not really the point. The point is, faith is believing in something that can't be proven. 
metaphysics kind of is that thing. I mean, metaphysics is the science of trying to figure out things that cannot be proven. You have to take with it a certain amount of faith. Whatever you believe in, New Ageism, religion, spirituality, metaphysics, uh, psychology, all of these things require faith because none of it can be proven yeah. categorically. I mean, proof proof is just uh, a theory that has happened multiple times. It, it just has yet to be disproved. Now, all this stuff, facts, these things that we think are facts, they're just opinions that somebody had and tried to do a bunch of time. And, you know, using the principles of quantum physics, we could probably even prove them wrong. So, coming back to faith, uh, your beliefs are your, your own. This is a quote. Your beliefs are your own. You can never find another who believes the same as you, nor could you truly make them. Which is really the point behind all this, is that everyone has a different belief system. Everyone has faith in something. And I think the important part is for you to have faith in what you believe in. You know, whether it's metaphysics or spirituality or New Ageism or whatever. Uh, Faith is faith. It's it's something that can't be proven. And I think all of those things are good. I think the only one that isn't is the one that kind of requires others to believe in it too.
Now it's time for a classic commercial break. Southern Oregon Jobs with Justice proudly supports KSKQ LP 94.9 FM in Ashland, Oregon. Southern Oregon Jobs with Justice brings together labor unions, religious congregations, student groups, and community organizations to improve working people's standard of living, job security, and their right to organize. Visit their website at www.sojwj.org. KSKQ thanks Southern Oregon Jobs with Justice for supporting community radio. I wanted to tell you guys about something new that just got brought to my attention. This is, I think it's, I have no idea how to pronounce this, Churjil Chin, the throat singers of Tuva, which is really interesting because this is something I actually wanted to do last week for the acapella group, or for the acapella show. But um, they didn't really fit in with the style that I was working on, though they were very close. The Churchill Chin members are recent champions of the Tuvan National Throat Singing Competition held in Tuva's capital. Man, these are some interesting words. Kizil, K-Y-Z-Y-L. They sing ancient folk songs in the Tuvan language and play their own handmade traditional instruments. Throat singing is a vocal form in which one singer produces one or two or more voices simultaneously, harmonizing one with another to create richly layered melodies evoking Central Asian steps and nomadic life. Now, this is happening Thursday, April 22nd, 7.30 p.m., the Hidden Springs Wellness, Wellness Center Skylight Room, which is at, on Siskiyou Boulevard in Ashland. $25 admission, children under 12 are seated um, for $15.00. Uh, seating limited. N-A-B-I-S-C-O Nabisco is the name to know For a breakfast you can't beat Eat Nabisco shredded wheat Looks as if Dave is riding straight into trouble. I hope Steve and Packy will think of the right thing to do and rescue him. And you know something, boys and girls, the right thing for you to do when you see a dish of Nabisco shredded wheat in front of you is to reach for a spoon and start eating. Yes, those delicious Nabisco shredded wheat biscuits topped with milk and sugar are really something, and something you'll want plenty of. You see, Nabisco shredded wheat is pure whole wheat, rich natural grain that's grown out on the western plains. 
Yes, it's mighty good tasting and a mighty fine energy food to keep you going strong all morning long. Tell Mother it's Nabisco shredded wheat for you tomorrow morning, sure. Looks as if Deaver and Slick are getting just what's coming to them. But say, boys and girls, there's something good coming your way when you ask for Nabisco shredded wheat for breakfast. Yes, sir, those crisp, toasty biscuits are mighty delicious. Just top them with sugar and milk, and you're having a real straight arrow breakfast. And a breakfast that'll keep you going strong all morning long. Because Nabisco shredded wheat is pure whole wheat, a real energy food. And, of course, Nabisco shredded wheat and milk give you some important vitamins that you need. Better check with Mother now to see if she has plenty of Nabisco shredded wheat on hand. Tell her you'll be glad to go to the store for Nabisco shredded wheat anytime. Remember to get the package with a picture of Niagara Falls. And remember, N-A-B-I-S-C-O, Nabisco is the name to know. For a breakfast you can't beat, eat Nabisco shredded wheat. You're listening to KSKQ.org, 94.9 FM, Ashland Community Radio. And now, Irrelevant News with Trevor Torres. Today's top story. Officer Clayton Holmes had been checking traffic speeds with radar and stopped to fill out a report when he felt his car shaking. When he got out, he found a bulldog attacking the tires of his patrol car. Officers used pepper spray and a taser on it, but the animal wasn't deterred. By the time McCarney Animal Center staffers captured that dog and two others, it had chewed two tires in the entire front bumper off Holmes' patrol car. Local police helped women in Swaziland recover her belongings from the home she used to share with her estranged husband following a court order. One of her possessions recovered was the roof of the home, which she said she had bought with her own money. And for today's useless trivia, it seems that popcorn has a long shelf life. In Peru, archaeologists found a thousand-year-old popcorn in graves, and the popcorn was so well-preserved it could still pop. Popcorn that is 5,600 years old was found in Bat Cave, New Mexico. Today in history, in 1850, Nathaniel Hawthorne's novel The Scarlet Letter is first published. 1881, the Barnum and Bailey Circus debuts. 1972, John and Yoko are served with deportation papers. In 1994, Tanya Harding pleads guilty to conspiracy to hinder prosecution for covering up the attack on Nancy Kerrigan, avoiding bail, avoiding jail, but drawing a $100,000 fine and effectively ending her skating career. And now, here's a few of our favorite stories from the past. Dennis Newton was on trial for the armed robbery of a convenience store in a district court this week when he fired his lawyer. Assistant District Attorney Larry Jones said Newton, 47, was doing a fair job of defending himself until the store manager testified that Newton was the robber. Newton jumped up, accused the woman of lying, and then said, I should have blown your effing head off. The defendant paused, then quickly added, If I'd been the one that was there. The jury took 20 minutes to convict Newton and recommended a 30-year sentence. Australian police have been unable to recommend a prosecution for the following scam. A company takes out a newspaper advertisement claiming to be able to supply imported hardcore pornographic videos. As their prices seem reasonable, people place orders and make payments via check. 
After several weeks, the company writes back explaining that under the present law, they are unable to supply the materials and do not wish to be prosecuted. So they return their customers' money in the form of a company check. However, due to the name of the company, few people will present these checks to their banks. The name of the company? The Anal Sex and Fetish Perversion Company. And finally, the Ann Arbor News crime column reported that a man walked into a Burger King in Ypsilanti, Michigan, at 8.50 a.m., flashed a gun, and demanded cash. The clerk turned him down because he said he couldn't open the cash register without a food order. When the man ordered onion rings, the clerk said they weren't available for breakfast. The man, frustrated, walked away. That's it for tonight's news. Thanks for tuning in to KSKQ.org, the only news that won't shorten your life through prolonged exposure. This has been Irrelevant News with Trevor Thomas. So now I want to introduce you to a new segment that, uh, that is called Answering Machine Messages. Have you ever wanted to spice up your outgoing answering machine message but didn't know what to say? Well, your problems are solved. Every week, we'll air some new answering machine messages, and if you want to use any of them, go to our archive section at kskq.org later tonight, and you'll be able to hear this entire show. Then you can hold your phone up to your speakers and record the message you want to use. Don't worry, many of these messages have been thoroughly tested on my own mother's answering machine, and not once did she complain. Okay, she complained all the time. But you know, one bag egg doesn't spoil the whole bunch, or however that saying goes. Point is, these have been thoroughly tested, and these messages are guaranteed to either encourage or discourage people from leaving a message, or your money back. Here's a few of my favorite answering machine messages. Hi, we're not in right now to take your call, but if you'd like to leave us a message, please press pound, press three, then dial your name, then press six and dial your number, then press star, press 69, ask for extension 4443, then leave your name and message. If you want to leave your number and the time you call, please press star twice, bark like a dog, spin it. Hello? Yeah, um, yeah, uh, hold on just one second, let me shut this down. Sorry, wrong way. Um, okay, there we go. Sorry, well, what was your name again? Yeah? Um, actually, you know what? This is just an answering machine. So, uh, sorry about that. You can leave your name, number, and a brief message at the sound of the tone. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Thanks, and have a great day. Tore at the silk of her bodice, exposing her creamy flesh to the chill of the night air. A chill that contrasted with the passionate fire burning in her blood. She traced the line down his chest towards his raging manhood. And as their lips met in a hungry embrace, they both knew one thing with complete certainty. They sure as hell weren't going to answer the phone, so leave a message. You have reached the number that you have dialed, etc., you know, if you need more instructions at this point, well, that's just pathetic. Believe it or not, George isn't at home. Please leave a message at the beep. I must be out before I pick up the phone. Where could I be? Believe it or not, I'm not home. 
now for something completely different. We may only have time for a little bit of this, but I wanted to introduce you all to a new uh, book. Well, it's not a new book. It's actually a very, very old book. It's a book that was very interesting to me when I was growing up. Uh, It's called Tom Swift. I'm going to give you a little bit of back history on this. Tom Swift is the name of the central character in five series, totaling over 100 volumes of juvenile science fiction and adventure novels that emphasize science, invention, and technology. You can tell I'm just riffing off the top of my head here. The character was created by Edward Stratemeyer, the founder of the Stratemeyer Syndicate, a book packaging firm. His adventures have been written by a number of different ghostwriters over the years. Most of the books are published under the collective pseudonym Victor Appleton. The character first appeared in 1910. New titles have been published as recent as 2007. Most of the various series focus on Tom's inventions, a number of which have anticipated actual inventions. Um, Many of Tom Swift's fictional inventions either mirrored or presaged actual technological, technological developments. Tom Swift, among the diamond makers, was based on Charles Parsons' attempts to synthesize diamonds using electric current. Tom Swift and his photo telephone was published in 1912. Um, However, the process for sending photographs by telephone was not developed until 1925. Tom Swift and his wizard camera, I, I love the names here, which was also created in 1912, features a portable movie camera not invented until 1923. And Tom Swift and his electric locomotive was published two years before the Central Railroad of New Jersey placed the first diesel-electric locomotive into service. The House on Wheels that Tom invents in 1929's Tom Swift and his House on Wheels predated the first house trailer by a year. And Tom Swift and his diving sea copter features a flying submarine similar to one planned by the United States Department of Defense four years later in 1956. Other inventions of Tom's have not come to pass, such as the device for silencing airplane engines that he invents in Tom Swift and his magnetic silencer. They should invent that. That's a great idea. In 1954, Harriet Adams created the Tom Swift Jr. series, which was published under the name Victor Appleton II. Now, this was actually my introduction to the series. I read a number of those growing up. And then when I was a bit older, uh, my grandfather gave me a number of the original Tom Swift books, which, you know, 1910, 1912, I thought they were awesome. There was a third series that was began in 1981 and lasted until 1984. I actually read a couple of those, too. They reminded me of the Back to the Future cover because their books looked very much like that Tom Swift was written in that like Back to the Future type font. The rights to the Tom Swift character along with the Stratemeyer Syndicate were sold in 1984 to publishers Simon Schuster. They hired New York City book packager Mega Books to produce further series. Simon and Schuster produced two other Tom Swift series, one published from 1991 to 1993, and the Tom Swift Young Inventor series began in 2006. So what I'm going to do is read you the first chapter. I'd like to read more, but I don't think we have very much time. So uh, I love voices, so I'm actually going to give these characters a number of different voices here. This is Tom Swift and his Giant Cannon by Victor Appleton. So 
I'm going to introduce you to some of the characters really quick. There's Mr. Damon, who Tom Swift kind of met when he first started out and when he created his, um, uh, well, actually, he didn't create it. He just, he kind of took a motorcycle and made it better. And he met Mr. Damon there. And he's going to be Texan. So I think that really fits his character. Uh, Mr. Peterson is going to be British because, I don't know, I can do a British accent and I think that works. Tom is just going to be kind of a young person's voice. And his father is Mr. Swift. He's kind of an old inventor. So, you know, he grew up as an inventor. And then um, there's a character named Eradicate, who's a kind of black servant, which I have to apologize for. This is what was in the book. Uh, It may be slightly offensive, but I will do the best I can. So just realize this was written in like 1910 or 1912, you know, kind of like the, um, can't remember his name. Ah, anyway, so starting out, here we are, um, Tom Swift and his giant cannon chapter one, which is titled on a live wire. Now see here, Mr. Swift, you may think it all sort of dream, and imagine that I don't know what I'm talking about, but I do. Your consent to finance this expedition to the extent of, say, $10,000, I'll practically guarantee to give you back five times that sum. I don't know, Alec, I don't know, slowly responded the aged inventor. I've heard those stories before, and in my experience, nothing ever came of them. Buried treasure and lost vessels filled with gold are all well and good, but hunting for an opal mine on some little herd of island goes them one better. And you don't feel like backing me up in this matter, Mr. Swift? No, Alec, I can't say I do. Why, just stop and think for a minute. You're asking me to put $10,000 into a company to fit out an expedition to go to this island, somewhere down near Panama, you say it is, and try to locate the lost mine from which some centuries ago opals and other precious stones came. It doesn't seem reasonable. But I'm sure I can find it, Mr. Swift, persisted Alec Peterson, who was almost as elderly a man as the one he addressed. I have the old documents that tell me how rich the mine once was, how the old Mexican rulers used to get their opals from it, and how all trace of it was lost in the last century. I have all the landmarks down pat, and I'm sure I can find it. Come on now, take a chance. Put in this $10,000. I can manage the rest. You'll get back more than five times your investment. If you find the mine, yes. I tell you, I will find it. Come now, Mr. Swift, said the visitor's voice, very pleading. You and your son Tom have made a fortune for yourselves out of your different inventions. Be generous and let me lend me this $10,000. Mr. Swift shook his head. I've heard you talk the same way before, Alec, he replied. None of your schemes ever amounted to anything. You've been a fortune hunter all your life, nearly, and what have you got to show for it? Just a bare living... That's right, Mr. Swift, but I've had bad luck. I did find the lost gold mine I went after some years ago, you remember? Yes, only to lose it because the missing heirs turned up and took it away from you. You could have made more at straight mining in the time you spent on that scheme. 
Yes, I suppose I could, but this is going to be a success. I feel it in my bones. That's what you say every time, Alec. No, I don't believe I want to go into this thing. Oh, come, do, for the sake of old times. Don't you recall how you and I used to prospect together out in the gold country? How we shared our failures and successes? Yes, I remember that, Alec. Mighty few successes we had, though, in those days. But now you've struck it rich, partner, went on the pleader. Help me out with this scheme, do. No, Alec, I'd rather give you three or four thousand dollars for yourself if you'd settle down to some steady work instead of chasing all over the country after some visionary fortunes. You're getting too old to do that. Well, it's a fact I'm no younger young, but I'm afraid I'm too old to settle down. You can't teach an old dog new tricks, partner. This is my life, and I'll have to do to live it until I pass out. Well, if you won't, you won't, I suppose. By the way, where is Tom? I'd like to see him before I go back. He's a mighty fine boy. Well, that's what he is, broke in a new voice. Bless my overshoes, but he is a smart lad. A wonderful lad, that's what. Why, bless my necktie, there isn't anything he can't invent. From a button hook to a battleship. Wonderful boy, that's what. I guess Tom's ears would burn if he could hear your praises, Mr. Damon, laughed Mr. Swift. <clears throat> Don't spoil him. Spoil Tom Swift? You couldn't do it in a hundred years, cried Mr. Damon enthusiastically. Bless my top knot, not in a thousand years, no, sir. But where is he? asked Mr. Peterson, who was evidently unused to the extravagant manner of Mr. Damon. There he goes now, explained, exclaimed the gentleman who frequently blessed himself some article of his apparel or some other object. There he goes now, flying over his house in that hummingbird airship of his. He said he was going to try out a new magneto he'd invented, and it seems to be working all right. He said he wasn't going to take much of a flight, and I guess he'll soon be back. Look at him. Isn't he a great one, though? Yes, well, he certainly is, agreed Mr. Peterson, as he and Mr. Swift went to the window from which Mr. Damon had caught a glimpse of the youthful inventor in his airship. A great lad. I wish he'd come on this mine hunt with me, though I'd never consent to go in my airship. They're too risky for an old man like me. They're as safe as a church when Tom Swift runs them, declared Mr. Damon. I'm no boy, but I'd go anywhere with Tom. I'm afraid you won't get Tom to go with you, Alec, went on Mr. Swift as he resumed his chair, the young inventor in his airship having passed out of sight. He's busy on some new invention now, I believe. I think I heard him say something about a new rifle. Cannon it was, Mr. Swift, said Mr. Damon. Tom has an idea that he can make the biggest cannon in the world, but it's only an idea yet. Well, then, I guess there's no hope of my interesting him in my opal mine, said the fortune hunter with rather a disappointed smile. Nor you either, Mr. Swift. No, Alec, I'm afraid not. As I said, I'd rather give you outright three or four thousand dollars if you wanted it, provided that you used it for your own personal needs and promised not to sink it in some visionary search. Mr. Peterson shook his head. I'm not actually in want, he said, and I couldn't accept a gift of money, Mr. Swift. This is a straight business proposition. 
Not much straight business and hunting for a mine that's been lost for over a century, replied the aged inventor, with a glance at Mr. Damon, who was still at the window, watching for a glimpse of Tom and his return trip in the aircraft. <clears throat> if Tom would go, I'd trail along. We haven't done anything worth speaking of since he'd use his great searchlight to detect the smugglers. Oh, see, that's now, now that's Mr. Damon. Excuse me. But I don't believe he'll go. That mining proposition sounds good. Why, it is good, required Mr. Peterson with fervor, hoping he had found a new prospect in Mr. Damon. But not business good, declared Mr. Swift, and for some time the three argued the matter, Mr. Swift continuing to shake his head. Suddenly into the room there ran an aged colored man much excited. For the land's sakes, he cried, somebody ought to go out and help Massa Tom. Why, what's the matter, Eradicate? asked Mr. Swift, leaping to his feet, an example followed by the two other men. What has happened to my son? I don't know, Massa Swift, but I looked up just now and there he be, in that air contraption of his he calls a hummingbird. He's catching up fast on the balloon shed roof, and there he's hanging with sparks and flames and shooting out of the airship, something scandalous. It's just spitting fire, that's what's doing. And if somebody don't go do something for Massa Tom mighty quick, there ain't going to be any Massa Tom. Now, that's what I was telling you. Well, bless my shoe buttons. Come on out, everybody. We've got to help Tom. Yes, assented Mr. Swift. Call someone on the telephone. Get a doctor. Maybe he's shocked. Where's Koku the giant? Maybe he can help. And don't go getting all excited, like, objected Eradicate Samson, the aged colored man. Remember, y'all has a weak heart, Master Swift. I know it, but I must save my son. Hurry! And I think we're going to end there. So if you want to hear any more Tom Swift, you're going to have to pick it up some old-time antique radio bookstation of some kind. By that, I mean an antique bookshop. So we're almost at the end of our show, but before we go, get out a pen and paper. It's time for Spellspeak. Spellspeak. If you can keep up, you'll be able to decipher this very important message. Once you're done, be the first to email me this message at trevor at kskq.org and you'll get a prize. If you need to hear it again, the show will be up in the archive section at kskq.org later tonight. Here we go. M-A-N-W-H-O-F-I-G-H-T-W-I-T-H-W-I-F-E-A-L-L-D-A-Y-G-E-T-N-O-P-I-E-C-E-A-T-N-I-G-H-T. Our closing song will be In the Sun by Howard Day. Coming up after this is uh, Whistling in the Dark. Thank you for listening to my show. If you have feedback or suggestions for the show or just want to say hi, email me at trevor at kskq.org. Tune in again next Tuesday at 7 when we're going to be talking about manifestation versus psychology or spirituality versus science. I have a special guest and we'll be kind of continuing our discussion from tonight. Thank you again. That's kskq.org 94.9 FM. 
listening to The Alternative Show, which would not be possible without substantial donations from Antiseptic and Earl E. Bird, created by Aaron Tires and Billy Club, with producer Terry Cloth, editor May Belline, our research team of Barbara Blacksheep and Shirley U. Jess, librarian Anita Hanjob, selection coordinator Matt Tress, studio engineers Idaho and Randy Peters, special thanks to Howie Kisses, Hi Marks, Phil R. Monick, Harry P. Ness, Hugh Suck, and my good friend Richard Tees, patent lawyer Meg O'Tun, Mary K. Cosmetic saleswoman Doris Close, and of course our French teacher Mademoiselle Viva La France. A very special thanks to Al Gore for inventing the internet, without which this nearly live streaming broadcast would not be possible. This show is broadcast live on location at Walt Disney's Tomorrowland theme park in Disneyland, France. Où est la piscine dans le Disneyland Resort? C'est plus bon, magnifique! Featuring the host with the most, Trevor S. Thomas, and yours truly, Alan Wrench. You're listening to KSKQ 94.9 FM, Ashland Radio, a product of the Multicultural Association of Oregon. Thank you, and good night. Picture you in the sun, wondering what went wrong, and falling down on your knees, asking for sympathy, and being caught in between, all I wish for and all I need, I picture you fast asleep, the night that comes, you can't keep away May God's love be with you Always May God's love be with you